You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome back Kate Mangino to the show. Kate Mangino is a gender expert who works to change harmful social norms through writing, training, and facilitating, and she's the author of the new book, Equal Partners, Improving Gender Equality at Home. There are few books or conversations I've had or people that I've met that can put your experience into words and help you better understand yourself, your relationship, and your family dynamics. And let me tell you, Kate's work and her book has done that for me. This is part two of a two-part series where Kate and I are looking at gendered norms and the ways that they impact the invisible load that we carry. In last week's episode, we looked at what gendered norms are, how they form, and how they play out in our day-to-day lives. And today in part two, Kate is going to help walk us through how we can begin to unlearn these gendered norms and change things and redistribute things within our partnerships, our relationships, our homes. Let's hear part two of my powerful conversation with Kate Mangino. When was the last time you truly felt like yourself? If you're not sure about the answer, it's time to think about your mental health. As moms, we often put ourselves on the back burner. From the moment our babies are born, our days and nights are full of responsibility, leaving it hard to sleep well, eat properly, exercise, or take care of ourselves. The more we neglect our own needs, the worse our mental health can become, leading to depression, anxiety, or other mental health struggles. But your mental health matters. The Happiest Mother Wellness Center can help. We have a growing team of mom therapists across Canada ready to offer teletherapy services. With teletherapy, you can save time and hassle by accessing virtual appointments from anywhere on your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. We know you're busy, so we make it as simple as possible to connect with a therapist. It's time to put yourself back on the priority list. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Kate, thank you so much for joining us again for part two. We got through what these norms are, how they become so ingrained, how we learn about them, where we sit in terms of our acceptance with them. And now I'm sure so many people are wondering, what do we do with this now that we have become aware? Before jumping in, I would love to know how the project of the book came about. And there's so much data included in here and so many interviews that are rich and full of context that you've had with people. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about like the process of the book and how it came about. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to be a part two. 
And to answer your question, I sort of approach this the way I did my dissertation, which is first you read everything that's already out there and you look for gaps. So I read everything I could get my hands on. And there were some earlier author pioneers who started to talk about household imbalance and the invisible load and an emotional burden. And thanks to their work, they set a fantastic foundation. And then I started to think about what is possibly missing in this conversation. What could I add? And I've always worked using appreciative approaches. I find that it is more fun to talk about what could be than to get weighed down on what is broken. And so I decided to focus on aspirational masculinity. We know that this is not the norm right now. And I certainly don't want anyone to feel bad about their situation when they read the book, but we have to be able to set the bar a little bit higher and have an expectation of where we're going in the future. Hmm. If not for our own relationships, then for our kids. So I set out to find men who I believed were equal partners, like met my rubric, my definition of what an equal partner is. And I had about 10 questions that got down to nitty gritty, but generally speaking, these are men who do half of the physical and cognitive labor of their home. Hmm. And it was harder than I care to admit to find mm. 40 men and throughout the U.S. And I have two Canadians trying to find people from diverse backgrounds, but I found them and I interviewed them and I used that collection of knowledge to answer some basic questions about sort of where did they come from, what inspired them, how do they make it work? and what advice they have for future generations. And I call these my EP40. So if I use that term in the rest of the interview, that's who I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that you had written the book to all people, all genders. And this is a conversation that I have with my agent. And as we're going into shopping around for publishing, I write to mothers and mothers Mm -hmm. in internal experience. And There are other books in this space that were written to women, and there's been criticisms around why we're talking about this load with women. And so the fact that you've written to both partners here, I think, makes your work so approachable and really does highlight what women, yes, are sacrificing and losing out on, but what fathers stand to lose and are sacrificing as well. And they have their own pressures that they face in different ways that, you know, contribute to these patterns that continue to be, you know, perpetually there. Absolutely. Right. I did want to highlight two things. I wanted to highlight how men are negatively impacted by gender norms because I think they are, and that's not talked about enough. But I also, in the the last thing I ever want to do is add to a woman's load. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I, first of all, I think that writing to mothers or writing to fathers separately, that's also lovely. I mean, I think we need lots of books in this space with lots of different voices and perspectives and different people will pick up different books at different times. So Mm -hmm. when we first started shopping this book around, some of the initial feedback we got is sort of, you know, we have Fair Play by Eve Rodsky and we have Mm -hmm. All the Rage by Darcy Lachman we don't need your book. Hmm. And I was really sad about that. And my agent, who is a fantastic human being said, Kate, there are shelves of books on yoga. There are shelves on books about how to cook Italian food. Why can't Hmm. there be shelves of books about household gender norms? (laughs) This Hmm. This is going to be a conversation we're going to be having for a long time. So I hope you have the same experience and yeah, people see the value of 
new perspectives. Yeah. And I think that this is something that is best approached from all perspectives and all, you know, like we've got societal pieces, we've got individual pieces, we've got gendered pieces, we've got so many pieces that this conversation needs to be hashed out. Like there needs to be a change here for all of the family's sake, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to move into some of the more practical pieces on, okay, my eyes have been opened. I see (laughs) the load. I see the disparities, you know, in the labor, in the house, like my eyes are open. And there was one piece that struck me so deeply. I think that this is actually probably, I don't know why, the piece that sat with me the most, probably my psychological background, where you talk about like, once we're aware there's a few different ways we can go about this, isn't there? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to read a little excerpt here about uh, like cognitive dissonance and what happens. And then I'd love to unpack this a little bit. So you had outlined that there was a situation where like values and the actual like situation came to a head. And it's like, I don't want to not live according to my values and like willfully choose that. But what am I going to do in this situation? So you had said changing one's values is an unlikely solution and changing one's behavior is difficult work that requires time, patience, and communication. So not surprisingly, Daminger, who is Alison Daminger, is a researcher that we both know and who has put out really groundbreaking research on the invisible and cognitive load. So Damager has found that when it comes to gender, couples in her research often go for a third choice and reframe their situation. Reframing happens when a couple shift their focus away from gender and onto something else in order to disguise their gendered behavior. And <laughs> we so do that. We all do that. Oh, we so I do, do that. I'm we, so we done do that. It. We do it like, subconsciously. Yeah. Right? We do it. Yeah. And it talks about this cognitive dissonance, which is like when we're in this, like, oh, we feel discomfort about the fact that our value doesn't align with our actions and we like don't know what to do. And so how do we justify this behavior to ourselves? And then we end up rationalizing this behavior that just so clearly in theory doesn't live up with our values in the way that we want to live out our lives. So before we get into the action steps, if we can highlight some of these reframing tactics that we fall into, Mm -hmm. I think of these in the psychology world as like, These are like the thought traps we fall into. These are like the little core beliefs that trip us up that, you know, our brain is used to. We find these loopholes because we got to get rid of that cognitive dissonance in some way, you know. So the first that you had introduced was economics. How do we reframe these norms into economics? What does that mean? I hear a lot of couples who if one person earns more than the other, and we already know, we talked about last time about how our system allows men to earn more than women, right? And we get trapped in these cycles. So it's not uncommon for a man to out-earn his female partner, although that is changing. For him to use that as an excuse of, well, I earn more money and I work more hours. So that's sort of my focus. And then that gives her more time so she can spend more time doing household work. Mm. And that's why I have some questions in the book about when you're partnering up, conversations you should probably have. And one of them I said is, do either of you believe that if someone makes more money than the other person, they should do less in the home? Because I think that would be a good conversation to have before you walk down the aisle or move in together. But interestingly enough, and we've had data for this around it for a couple of years, but there was actually an article that just came out very recently within the last month 
I want to say it was in the Washington Post with new data saying when women out earn their husbands, the men don't step up, the women just outsource more work. And that gets into the leaning down that we were talking about too. Mm. So it's a hypocritical one-sided argument that I only use economics as an excuse when the man earns more money, but as soon as his female partner earns more money, no one uses this reframing tactic. Hmm. It reminds me of a conversation I was having in my polls and DMs. Mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. how I interact with people these days. And it, we, we're talking about sleep. We recently put out a, a sleep resource talking about protecting maternal sleep as a way to help in our adjustment to motherhood and protect our well-being and our you know mental health. And the comments were like, but my partner works all day long and I have to be the one getting up with the baby and like not to, you know, limit the fact that I know that so much of the load falls to mom and like all of that. But it was like we protect our partner's time, as we you're do. saying, so much because they are earning an income when, as we mentioned in the last episode, care work is of the most important work out there. Somebody actually commented on Instagram in response to this and said, my husband goes to an office and pushes paper around all day. Yeah. I keep a human alive. Like I need sleep, you know? And if you get frustrated in an office setting, yeah. you go get a cup of coffee, you take a break, you get frustrated with a toddler or an infant, that can have much more serious repercussions as you've talked about before as well. So, yeah. and that kind of leads into another one of the reframing tactics is sympathy. That sometimes even when money isn't involved, even if he's not an earner, Women are socialized to protect men's feelings, Hmm. right? Women are socialized to put ourselves second and put him first. And empathy is a play on words, obviously. And that's a term that Kate Mann, who she wrote um, Down Girl, I think that's where that comes from. And empathy is when, you know, women just subconsciously make excuses and sacrifice, self-sacrifice to protect her husband's time, her husband's career, her husband's reputation. And so- I think that what you were talking about in terms of, well, he needs to be well-rested for work, that's empathy. And I think a lot of us do that mm. too. And I've, I've caught myself doing it. I talk about a situation in the book about when my husband and I were both offered opportunities, professional opportunities at the same time. And because of geographic reasons, they couldn't both happen. We had to choose one or the other. It was very hard for me to allow him to say no to his and allow me to accept mine because of empathy, because I was trying to protect his career, which he pointed out was ridiculous. And we worked through it and we chose my option, but it's hard. It's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And now I was talking in the previous episode about the transition that we've been in and I was protecting my husband's time and his career track. And he was downtown 12, 14 hour days. I was home with three mm-hmm. children losing my ever loving mind. Mm-hmm. And to now fast forward two and a half, three years, he's retired from corporate. He works within the company that I have built. And it is an entirely different structure and way of doing things. And to resist the norms and be able to do that, you know, Yeah. I I don't know. A story is coming to my mind where we, when we first bought our house, our new house that we're in, we relocated because I needed an office at home to run the company out of our, our previous space was too small. And the contractors who were doing work for us, when we first got the home, there were several things that I wanted done to it before we moved in with the kids because to do it when we moved in would be too difficult. Sure. 
And the conversations were like to my husband, not from my husband, like, oh, you know, like happy wife, happy life. Like you better just do it like how she wants it and this and that. Like essentially the implications were that I was too demanding. I was too controlling. I wanted too many things. I had expectations that were too high. And my husband didn't catch on to it as much as I did. Like I took real yeah. offense. Yeah. Heaven forbid a woman have an opinion, Erica. <laughs> and it's like to them, they're like, oh, like it's fine. Like the floors are fine the way or like they, they think things are functional. They're right. fine. And I'm like, no, but I want them a certain way. And like I make money and I like yeah. whatever, even if it was my husband's money, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. And so I, I brought this to his attention and, and then I walked out uh, like a day later and he was telling them essentially about the company that I run and like the fact that we've moved into this house for, you know, this company that has been taking off and really successful. And then the, just the way the conversation changed because it went from being like, oh, you're so burdensome to, oh, like now that my husband speaks to my, I don't know, like, and now that a man says it. Right. And because they know you're earning money. Like there was something about, I own a company right? I'm employing people that it it brought you legitimacy, but you clearly didn't have that legitimacy as a human. Right. And I was just, I was enraged. (laughs) My husband, he didn't get the brunt of the rage, but he got the brunt of the whole, you know, like we hashed that out for a moment because it was just like, it was so frustrating. So that empathy conversation and some of this, I don't know, brought that up in my mind where it's just like, we have to protect men's time and, and we're burdensome to have desires or to have an opinion or to insert ourselves is to be an inconvenience or be too much yes. or be all of these things. And to start to recognize and break out of these norms, like those are things I've really had to confront and unlearn. And it's an uncomfortable process, right? It's hard. This is not easy to do for anyone. And I think it plays into some of these other reframing tactics that you talked about. So we've got like personality as the next one here. Oh my gosh. I hear this so often, sort of like, it's just her personality. She's a natural multitasker. Mm. She just likes to do home stuff. She likes to be in control. So I just back away. And my argument there is that women have been raised to adapt a personality to cope with being the household laborer that it's not an individual personality. And if it was truly personality, then if you looked at broadly, it would fall more evenly across, you know, 50-50 across the sexes. But when you look at how much more work women do in the home than men, you know, this is a pattern. This isn't about an individual family. This is a pattern. And it's not because her personality suits this work. It's because she's adopted skills that enable her to take on what she has been tasked with. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which shapes, I think, the next one, priorities, which really stood out in my mind as well. So how does that move into priorities as a reframing? I think priorities really gets at values, which is important. And this gets deeper and deeper. And sometimes this is where I often spar with my husband, that we have been raised to value different things. A lot of our values are about like sort of appearance of children or schedules of children that I still value more. I feel like I'm judged for it and I take responsibility for it. And he's more comfortable letting it go. Sort of like if there's dress as your favorite book character day, I'm the kind of parent who will spend two weeks beforehand finding little pieces and trying to make it a super cute outfit. So your kid has this great day. 
And Evan is more comfortable saying it's, it's one day and he's a kid. So just let's find something fun and put it together the day before and it will be okay. Mm. And I think it boils down to values and judgment because at the end of the day, if my son doesn't have this fantastic book character costume day, I feel like I'll be judged and I don't think Evan will be judged for it. It brings up a conversation or a question I hear from many moms about like, do they just not see the clutter? Like, do they not see the mess? Like, and, and I feel yes. like that plays into priorities, yes. right? Because so many moms are like, if somebody showed up and saw this house right now, I would die. Like yeah, I would right. crawl under the table yeah. and just want to disappear because it's woven into our identity and our worth and how we feel about ourselves. And we are being judged in our role in that moment. Right. But does anybody ever look to my husband and say, why is your house a mess? Like, right. No. Like, like what you say, with like that tool to flip it. Like, would anyone ever say that to my husband? No, they would look to me 10 times out of 10 and say like, what's going on here? I agree. And I think priorities are an excuse of why we dismiss hours that women put in. So let's say husband goes to bed at nine, curls up with a book, drifts off to sleep. Wife stays up until midnight cleaning the house or doing laundry or whatever has to be done. I hear men say, she didn't have to do that. She could have gone to bed too. Like she's making Mm, it a priority. mm -hmm. We just have different priorities on how we spend our time differently. The difference is, is to that woman, it's not a choice. She doesn't think she has a choice. She has this task to do and she knows if she doesn't do it, no one else will. Mm. And that's what I think is that that conversation needs to happen is it's about we are raising men and women to have different values and that then dictates behavior in the home. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because I feel like in the home in this sense, my husband and I are flipped in terms of gendered norms. Hmm. I will pick up and go to bed and I, I don't shut down the house. <laughs> I don't care what needs to be done. I need my sleep for everyone's sake where he has a whole routine to like shut down the kitchen or like shut down things. And I have seen it and framed it, I think, in the past in terms of priority and like what is important versus not important or whatever. But it it does make me think like these tasks have to be done. And to him, he might think that, you know, it's just on him again in the morning if he wakes up and has to do them. So I think it could open a really great conversation for us on how how maybe we share that routine more before bed. And I would have to do it earlier in the evening. I cannot do it when I'm like, okay, I'm going to bed now. But there can definitely be some conversations there, I think. I'm going to posit a question to you because my husband is also the one who does the house close down. I wonder if there's a value around security. Like this is my family. I need to keep my family safe. So I'm going to walk around and make sure all the doors are closed and the lights are off and Hmm. I don't know. And I'm just positing a question. I wonder if that's a value that men have been raised with. Yeah, it's interesting because he does. He definitely like checks the door. He does like there's a whole routine that he does. Mm -hmm. And some of it is like, I will forget food on the stove nine (laughs) times out of 10. Like I am the worst. And this is my ADHD brain. Like once it's not in sight, I legitimately like it's gone. So he's often the one that will like package dinner up, put it in the fridge, do some of the dishes. So he does some of those like care tasks, probably the majority of them in the evening during that time. But then there is definitely like a, he goes and checks the house. I go check the kids. So it's interesting, the different dynamics there for sure. Reframing tactic number four, the bossy wife. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm angry already. 
<laughs> I think that there is this persona of this bossy wife. There was a woman, a neighbor of mine, who's no longer a neighbor of mine, but she used to have a t-shirt that said mom, wife, boss, right? And I think that people can play into this a little bit as sort of, I'm the bossy wife, I'm in control, I'm wearing the pants. And so if there's ever a gender conversation that comes up, it's easy for her male partner to be like, I'm just along for the ride. She's calling all the shots. She's wearing the pants. She's the nag. You know, I'm just trying to keep everyone happy. And I've seen so many people fall into this role. And I don't know what happens in their home when the doors are closed and everyone else is gone and they're not performing for anyone. But at the end of the day, is she still performing much more than 50% of the cognitive labor because she feels like she has to because she's female? Mm. Are we just covering it up with a joke and a stereotype? I just think it's a very common reframing tactic that people lean back on is sort of, if she's the bossy wife, if she's the nag, how can I possibly be the controlling husband, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not about exerting control. It's about stepping up at home and taking responsibility for things and leaving one partner with a larger share of the burden. Well, and this is the narrative that I was bumping up against with the construction workers. Like, oh, the nag wants something else, you know, is sort of that the vibe that I was getting. And I don't know that my husband was so sensitive to it. Like he didn't pick up on it in the same way that I did. But when I brought it to his attention, he did see it. And obviously he doesn't internalize that himself. So he he corrected it the next time it came out. But I think that this, this is too pronged in my mind because I think that Men like to do this to say, you know, oh, she calls all the shots, happy wife, happy life, like she does, you know, whatever. But then I also feel like part of us probably wants to hold on to that as a form of power. Like when we talk about care work and we talk about gender norms and being a a mother in the home and we talk about Alison Daminger's, I hope I'm saying her last name right, yes. Daminger's research about the dimensions in the home and that men control the ones that are most in line with decision-making and power and we do all the busy work, I would imagine that we'd want some power to hold on to, wouldn't we? Yes, absolutely. And that's why it's hard. And I think we'll, we'll get into this next, but when we start to do something, when we start to actually shift gender norms, that can be an uncomfortable and slightly painful process because you are essentially giving some of your power away. Yeah, Yeah. And I think this plays into the next one, the supervisor versus employee dynamic for reframing. Do you hear this all the time too? You know, I had a male colleague tell me when I was writing a book, he said, oh, I have an equal partnership, but my wife is sort of the manager and I'm the employee. And I wanted to say, well, then by definition, it's not an equal partnership because we all know that the manager of, let's say a chain of stores does way more work than someone who's clocking in and out, right? If you clock in and out, you show up for work, you're told what to do, you do your task, you clock out, you go home and you don't have to think about it. You just get to relax and do whatever you do or go to another job, but you're not thinking about that work. Whereas a manager is thinking about inventory and accounting and about human resources and about are you employees out sick or do you have enough people? And even though that manager might step away from the store at the end of the day, they still have so much work on their mind. And so I think that that split in the household is a tricky one. I also think that I wouldn't want to look at my spouse as my supervisor. Mm. That's hard enough in a work sense. And we do that in a work sense because we all have to earn an income. But I don't want to feel 
inferior or superior to my spouse. I would like to think that we both have skill sets that we bring into a household. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear this like every day. Yeah. I hear this in the form of like, when I'm in the thick of it, I want my partner to come into the room and know what to do and not ask me. Yes. Right? Yes. I hear this in the form of like, you know, moms carry maternal knowledge of the rhythm and the routine and the likes and dislikes. And so moms become the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And so then they feel, I don't know, like solely responsible, carrying the entire load and, and that this constantly in this delegating mode or asking for help or giving instruction when it's not, I don't know, it's not their role to have to give this instruction, right? And it's a whole other, I think this is perpetuated, as you've said, in in a couple of ways where it's like, oh, I've got three children, like two kids and my husband. Like, I think that this gets perpetuated. I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. I see it and I hear it. I hear it every day. No, I think it's a legitimate and genuine issue. And I think that if that's how your family is, I think a lot of what I talk about in the book is, is just to say, let's just call a spade a spade. If your situation isn't perfect, that's fine. None of our situations are perfect. We're all on our own path. But let's just not make excuses of Mm. what's happening. Let's just be honest with ourselves. I don't have an equal partner, or he's not doing enough, or he's not stepping up. Let's just be honest. I think even if we just change the way we talk about it, and we stop protecting men's time, and we stop protecting his feelings maybe so much, that at least we would be more transparent for the next generation as they grow up and enter relationships. Hmm. Well, I think that's a great segue into like, how do we do some of this work? So like, we've outlined these gender norms and what they can look like. We've talked about the ways we can sort of, you know, talk our way through them or justify them in some way when this work feels so hard to do. But then when I ask myself, I even caught myself just now, am I thinking, well, like, well, is it ever equal? And if it's not, why? Like, and then I go, well, like, because my partner works outside the home or my, my head starts to go down this place of like, you know, is equality really what we're going for? I don't know. Is fairness what we're going for? I think every individual has to answer that question for themselves. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want and what is achievable? Fairness, being able to, you know, you told a story earlier as the last pod was wrapping up how you're in it. Like you, you're running this business. You have got so many things going on. Your husband has so many things going on. You probably fall into bed exhausted every single night, but at least you're not resentful Mm -hmm. because you're not doing an unfair load. You're sharing that. And so I think camaraderie, companionship, I mean, that's why we all partner up to begin with is because Mm -hmm. we love this person and we want to be with them in life. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what we're going for. Some people call it equity. And we all know that equality on a day-to-day basis is unrealistic. It ebbs and flows. There are weeks that it's been me 30% and him 70%, and then it will flip. You have work travel. A parent gets sick. A kid gets sick. Life changes. Mm -hmm. Jobs come and go. If you can step back and look at your partnership from a 10,000 feet, so to speak, Mm -hmm. I think that's the perspective we need to keep. Right. Like when I take that bird's eye view and I think about our partnership and how it has evolved and what it looks like, it's not a keeping score. It's not a tit for tat that the scale is precisely even. It is a fluid conversation. It is a 
ability to communicate with each other mm-hmm. about what is on the docket for the week, for the upcoming month, for the whatever, and being able to sort of ebb and flow back and forth together as a team that allows it to work. Yeah. Because I think that when we get locked into rigidity, we then keep score and that in itself breeds its own undercurrent of resentment that can just undo a couple, right? Yeah, truly. And none of the EP40 that I interviewed had like a daily checklist. None of them used a tool to that effect where they were following each other around with a checklist. I would say they would agree with you that that is more detrimental to a relationship than helpful. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that if you haven't done the unlearning portion, you can write out a chore chart all day long. All day long. But until you've undone the patterns and unlearned the norms, you will fall right back into the same behavior, you know, that you were in previously. And I think that's why this conversation is so important for us to be having. It's like it starts within our own unlearning. To be able to expand our role and shape it in a way that it suits us. Like not every woman is the same. Not every mother Mm -hmm. has to mother in the same way. And so much of that can be shaped by our own values and our family structure. And there's endless possibilities there really when you can break out of the norms that we have been placed in. And going back to what do we do? I think the first thing we can do is to take it away from the personal and think about the the norms and behaviors. And when you have those conversations with your partner or a sibling or a friend or your kids, you know, not to blame each other. You did this and that, you know, you made me angry or you disappointed me, but just think about it in terms of these are patterns of behavior that have been going on for generations. Mm. How do you feel? What is society pressuring you to do? Let me tell you what society is pressuring me to do. That's how you can start to make it less about you and me and nitpick and to think more about how are we both victims and hopefully survivors of a gendered world. Right. In like counseling, we would call this depersonalization, right? Where we put some space between us and this thing and we realize, wait, this isn't something that my partner is intentionally inflicting upon me. Right. Right. And you share a story in the book about, I believe it was your story about your husband having to go back like three days to work through like three days after the birth of one of your children and how unpacking it with him, like the pressure to go back to work for men. And is that, was that your story? It may have been a case study. I quoted, it was a case study. I know you're you're talking about, it was um, Bridget Schulte is a writer in this space and she is with the New America Foundation. And I interviewed her for my book and that was her story. And she talked about how angry what she was for a long time that he had rushed back to work three days after her child was born. And she only realized it later on that he was scared. He was scared of losing his job. He was scared of not being able to provide for this new baby. He was scared that he wouldn't get promoted because he would be labeled as lazy for taking paternity leave. And once she understood the pressures that he faced, it was a lot easier for her to forgive him and work with him for future. But she told that story for a reason because she was hoping that it would inspire other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I've reflected on, and I had my husband even on the podcast to reflect on the early postpartum days and, and speaking about it with him and feeling so much pressure and urgency to provide now for a family of three. And yeah. while I have maternity leave and there is some income that comes with that, it's drastically reduced from what it was. Yes. 
we've got three children. He's taking care of me and three kids and just the pressures. And then there's some of the norms at work that police our partners in taking paternity leave or taking time off. And, you know, there's just these norms are so entrenched. And so it's really I love the perspective you're taking that this isn't like a conscious choice of our partners trying to like, you know, like just dig us with this behavior. This is so unconscious and learned and observed that once we can depersonalize it, back away from it and look at it together as a team and put this problem on the table. This is like such a therapy conversation now. (laughs) Put this problem on the table in front of us and sit beside each other as a team and say like, this is the external problem is how these norms have been structured and how can we work together as a team to, you know, change these or unlearn some of these things or do things differently. Precisely. And I think sometimes that also comes with compromise. You know, we might look at that table and say, this is the problem and talk about, okay, my values around the house and your values around the house. Let's have a shared value for our relationship. You know, maybe one person is going to step up a little bit. One person is going to relax their standards a little bit, but you need to find shared values about how we're going to raise our kids, how we're going to keep our house, how we're going to do meals. And sometimes we don't have those explicit conversations. And then that's when assumptions and problems happen. And so just saying, okay, we, we came to this relationship with different values because we were raised in a different way. Let's talk through that and let's find a shared value that we can both agree on. Hmm. And I think that the knowledge and awareness and then the communication and the conversations are such powerful tools because when it comes to norms, we fall into them automatically, right? So it's like we haven't taken ourselves off of autopilot to really manually adjust and yeah. like recognize. So even in the act of being aware and having conversations and brainstorming together as a couple does so much from a couple maybe who's previously in these autopilot roles. Absolutely. And then I, you know, I would just end that conversation with saying, I don't think that this problem doesn't need to be solved by two busy parents with little kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is an intergenerational problem. This is an issue that is bigger than any of us. We need our grandparents and we need our friends and we need our communities and we need the next generation this conversation isn't going to be solved by two extremely tired and busy people with tiny people in their household. This is an all hands on deck moment. Mm-hmm. So when I think about my audience and they're in this like pregnant or zero to five years mm-hmm. phase in their life, mm-hmm. and if they're feeling like the scales are really tilted, do we start with having these conversations and we also start with maybe incorporating family members or what might be some first steps for them? I think that practicing gender awareness yourself whenever you have the bandwidth to do it is a great step. Talking to who are the who are the people in your life who could be your gender allies? Do you have a mom who's really supportive or a best friend or a sister or a next door neighbor? Who's in your life who you can kind of bring on this path with you, who you can have these conversations with and you know they're going to be supportive? I talk about this in my book, that it's important to identify people who might be your gender ally because you can't do this alone. And for example, we talked about how women feel judged in the home. Men feel judged for income. And I've talked to a lot of stay-at-home dads who, when they stepped away from work to take on a parenting role, they were judged by family and friends and grandparents for being lazy Right. So when Mm -hmm. women do that, they're encouraged and supported and loved. And when men do it, they're coded as 
lazy or he just wants more time in his work shed. And so we, we really need this whole community to notice gender and to support more equal relationships and to use words that are going to encourage dads to step up and encourage moms to be open to different kinds of roles in the home. Mm-hmm. So find your gender allies, talk to them about it, forward articles that you find online that you find helpful and forward those on to your mom or your sister or your friend and say, you know, could we talk about this or um, thought you would be interested? Because I do think that we all need to see gender and we all need to work on the words that we use. Mm-hmm. And in your book, all throughout it, you have like reflective moments and questions that you ask and takeaways, little exercises. So the practical pieces there to maybe even prompt a discussion starter or to take away and do a little bit of, of work on your own independently. But I highly recommend your work. Thank you, Erica. <laughs> I can't say enough about it. There's like been a handful of books I feel like I've read in the past couple of years or interviews that I've done that have been like that will just stick with me and influence so much of the work that I do. So thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. Thank you for the work you're putting out there. And your book is available. It's been released. Where can people find it? You can find it anywhere. You can find it online. You can find it at your favorite independent bookseller. If you want to learn more, you can find me on katemangino.com and on Twitter at ManginoKate. We will link all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much again for your time. Thank you. Wasn't that such an amazing conversation with Kate? I feel like the work that she does and the work that I do around the invisible load run parallel with each other. And I so appreciate her expertise in gender norms and the lens that she brought to us in these conversations. Sometimes knowing where to begin, how to let go of these norms, how to unlearn ways of thinking and ways of behaving can be really, really challenging. And our therapists in our wellness center are equipped to help you redefine and re-examine what it means to be a good mother, to be a good woman, how to redistribute some of this load when it comes to gender norms. To book your free 15-minute consult and learn more, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you back here, same time, same place next week where I'm having licensed therapist Aaron Spar on the show. Aaron and I are going to unpack burnout and its relationship to the invisible and mental load. You do not want to miss this conversation. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. 